Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. The Rays pitchers and catchers report to spring training in Port Charlotte on Tuesday. First workout Wednesday. We're going to tell you what the Rays are going to say in their opening news conference and what they really mean. We'll also play my interview with Rays pitcher Austin Pruitt. And the Bucks may be ready to hire a defensive line coach. They just fired one. Hey, this guy's also a friend of Dirk Cutter's. I'll talk about that. And it's a time for the Bucks to pick up Jameis Winston's fifth-year option. Sounds like a no-brainer. Oh, by the way, the Lightning came all the way back and lost a tough one in Toronto. All that and more on Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with my producer, Steve Versnick. Before we get started on today's show, I want to tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and get a free 30-day trial membership. That's a $15 value, and as a listener to this show, you'll get a free audio book. Just go to audibletrial.com. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash sports day to take advantage of the deal. Audible is owned by Amazon. It's the leading provider of digital audiobooks. What does that mean to you? Well, hey, they've got 180,000 titles or more to choose from. Unlike streaming, you own the books once they've been downloaded. You can even listen to them offline. That's audibletrial.com slash sports day for a free 30-day trial membership and a free audiobook. Hey, and if you didn't get a Valentine's Day gift for your wife or girlfriend now, Get her a free trial. It won't even cost you anything. <laughs> well, will the book come in time for Valentine's no, Day? It's imme- it's imme- when you sign up, it's immediate. It's online. <laughs> do you? You can sign you up now. No shit. Uh, you don't have to pay shipping. You don't have to do anything. You just you sign up in the first month. You're not even paying for it till March. For I'm glad it. you said no shipping because I thought. Um, I, I'm wondering: Are you one of those? Are you one of those romantic um, Hallmark guys? That are you a big Valentine's Day uh, sort of? person i do what i have your to wife do. i do what i have to do <laughs> just do this is the very minimum or what are, no, are you, do no do you put no. an effort to this thought beyond the candies and the and the flowers perhaps uh, yeah I, I i i do try to put in effort i try to i try to do something different every year so it's not predictable i'll say this i'm i'm not i'm not a romantic my wife knows this. this is no surprise to anybody i have two daughters as well so now i try to get them involved and so that they can you know of course they're in school so you have to do the you know 40 classmates, uh, you know, individual Valentines the night before. So that's exhausting. I did see something on TV I thought was interesting. If you cook for your your uh, loved one, um, I don't know what this commercial was, but it seemed fascinating. They show you how to cut up certain vegetables, then put them back together and they're into a shape of a heart, which you then hold together with a toothpick. It sounds really elaborate. It, it, it sounds really more wasn't complicated that- than anything I could do. It really wasn't, though. Like, when you see it, you just got to make sure you got the right vegetables and you cut them in the right pattern. But they fit together, and they all look like hearts. It's very, very interesting. I thought, well, mm, that's cool. I don't know that a bunch of heart-shaped vegetables would do it for her, but, you know, something you could do. Anyway, uh, Valentine's Day, as it turns out, will also, I guess, be the day uh, or the day before the, the Rays report 
uh, on Tuesday. Yeah, the first workout will be Valentine's Charlotte. Day. The first, first workout, workout the... will be Valentine's Day, right? Just in time to, to leave their wives and girlfriends and mistresses, or all three. They'll be down there in Port Charlotte, and this is also the day when you hear the news conference from you know the Rays GM, Eric Neander, will be there. Kevin Cash will talk, and it's the whole you know sort of spring spring training hype fest, if you will. And they'll tell you, you know, as Mark Tompkin wrote in the Tampa Bay Times, how confident they are, how much talent and depth they have at the starting pitching, and even though. You know, they've lost Evan Longoria and Alex Cobb's a free agent and all these discomforting things have happened. They're still in pretty great shape. But in reality, what they mean to say is we have no clue who's going to be here when we start the regular season. And that's what was brilliant about this piece is that it's exactly that. Uh, This is got to be is going to become one of the most uncomfortable spring trainings for a lot of the players because there was no movement or the movement they expected in the offseason. This team still has essentially a $75 million payroll, which they are bound and determined they're going to hack into. And if that, that's going to mean trading players, it's going to mean dumping some salaries. I mean, for example, you know, uh, trading Longoria didn't help them at all because they wound up taking back that salary with Denard Span. Well, it didn't help them this um, year. It helps them this long year. term. Sure. No, I get that. And he's a 32-year-old player and all those things. My point is, from a salary standpoint, Span's making a good bit, a good bit of money himself. So I think what they're, what they're going to try to do is you still have lots of players that you would imagine teams are very interested in. And you just don't know, really, when, train, when spring training starts from one day to the next, is Alex Colome going to be your closer when the season starts? Jake Odorizzi would seem to be the starting pitcher that's probably going to get the most interest. But they're going to try to package him to try to dump some of the salaries they have with Corey Dickerson, who who makes almost $6 million, or Span, who's at $9 million. You know, you may have some players that are actually cut, for example. And you just don't, you know, there's a lot of young guys that they're going to be confident in, but even with them, for as much as Rays fans are, are going to, okay, we're going to embrace the young players. We're going we're gonna to rebuild with these guys coming up from AAA. Oh, no, no, no. Because as you remember, they, they did this with Longoria. They do this to gain control in terms of service time and, and just to make sure that these guys are ready for the majors. But guys like Brent Honeywell, Willie Adamas, whether it's Christian Arroyo, Jake Bowers. I mean, all those guys I would expect to see in the majors this year but and they'll all be you know big stories in in spring training, but in reality, most of those guys will probably start the season in Durham for that very same reason, for the same reason they did it when Longoria was a rookie to gain control and have an extra year towards arbitration, et cetera. So it's really going to be sort of a shell game, uh, I think. You know, this year it's not like the typical. This is how we expect to win. We're gonna in 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 recent times it's been. Logan Morrison, Corey Dickerson, we're going to hit a lot of home runs. I think you'll hear them talk a lot about how, you know, this team will be built primarily around pitching, defense, moving runners, sort of the athleticism that they've surrounded themselves with, putting the ball, moving the baseball more than they have done in the past, all of that. And, and when you get to the end of it, the question is going to be, can you win in the AL East with this group? Will this plan in any way, shape, or form, um, produce a winner. And no one's going to say no, obviously, because that's why you play the games, right? But in reality, 
this team is is willing to to take some steps backwards to then be able to take many steps forward. I just think it's going to be a different tone, Steve, than what we're used to in spring training. Oh, it absolutely is because, as you said, I mean, a lot of these players are not going to be here by opening day. Um, normally a lot of those moves would have already happened, and you know maybe you have one or two in spring training. But the other part is I think with the moves the Red Sox and the Yankees have made in particular, um, adding Giancarlo Stanton and the Red Sox and their, their payrolls and the ability to add players that – the only way the Rays can really compete with that is probably pitching and defense, which is what they're getting back to, which is what they were really good at when they went to the World Series in 08 and then the other three playoff runs. That pitching and defense is the way to counteract those big lineups. No, I agree. And I, and I think that there's one thing this organization has done. It's draft and or develop pitchers. And, I mean, I think they're going to be okay. Even, even if you were to lose an Odorisi, you still have Blake Snell. You still have – Avaldi, you still have any number of guys that can come up and fill, you know, one spot or two. And we still don't know. Look, I had thought, really believed that Chris Archer was going to be dealt, and he may still be. But Archer, they still have a pretty good control of for if you for for a number four one more years for like thirty four mil or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's not it's not prohibitive money, um, you know, for a guy that's going to be your ace. And so maybe it happens sometime during the year, and that, that could be true also of Calame. Um, and they did, they did just sign you know, Sergio Romo, who's back and, and could close for them if they needed him to, if, if, if say, Calame were to leave earlier, you know, sooner than later. Um, but it's going to be completely fluid, both you know, in, in the pitching, starting pitching, bullpen, um, just based on what deals are going to get to. But – this is going to be a very odd. I, I I don't know, you know. I'm sure a lot of these guys will will start spring training. You'd like to know that that's where you're going to be. You know, it's a business. Most of them probably never imagined that they would be back in Rays camp. I mean, I'm wondering how many of those guys will be driving to Port Charlotte saying, "I can't believe, after all, you know, that I expected to happen in the off season, I am starting my training camp here in Tampa Bay." And in all likelihood, they may not end it there. So it's just it's just going to feel and, and have sort of a different feel to it. But that's not to say that they don't have a competitive baseball team because I still think um, with some of the young talent they have on the mound, I think first base is, is wide open. You're going to hear a lot about Brad Miller either playing first or second. They, they've signed a lot of guys that's going to come in there and battle for the, you know something on the right side of the, of the infield. You still have Hechevera, you know, at, at shortstop. Your left side's pretty much set with Duffy. It's and pretty set with Duffy. And the great news about Duffy, look, by all accounts and all reports, and Lord knows he's, you know, had a lot of time and a lot of setbacks, but he told Mark Tompkin that he is one, he, not 100%, but he is ready to go. Like there is nothing that would stop him or prevent him or think he would be slowed uh, to playing a full major league system. Or season, and if that's the case, you know Matt Duffy was a really good ball player, is a really good ball player, and can do things with the bat and with the glove. He's not going to be Evan Longoria. That's the first thing that that people you know will look at and think this is really odd that you know the babe number three is not at at third base. But if he gets back to where he was prior to the the foot injury, that's not a bad place to start on that side of the infield. Really, I mean, outside of second base, up the middle and third base is where you're really set. And I guess Sousa Jr. in right field, too. But especially defensively, Duffy's going to be fine at third. 
Echeverria is great at shortstop. Uh, your catchers, Ramos and Sucre, did fine last year behind the plate. And Kevin Kiermaier, of course, right. up the middle in the outfield is, is great. If they can figure out who's going to play second base, uh, if it's Brad Miller, you're, you're not as good defensively necessarily, but his bat can make up for a lot of things. Um, could be Daniel Robertson. Mm-hmm. Could be, you know. It could even be a Willie Adamas at some point. Uh, coming True. up and, and doing that. Um, eventually, if he continues yeah. to Well, eventually. I mean, whether it's this year he comes to play second or do they keep him down at AAA longer to keep playing shortstop? Yeah, and they got lots of guys who can play second base. I mean, some newcomers like Micah Johnson, who we talked to at uh, Race Fan Fest. You're going to hear about him, Ryan Shrimp, uh, Joey Wendell. Uh, there's all kinds of, of prospects on that side of the infield that are going to be good gloves. We'll just have to see. I mean, this is – I like watching how teams are put together in the spring. I, I – some people don't get much out of spring training because the starters don't play for very long. I think it's fascinating to see who makes it and who doesn't. But this spring is going to be such a fluid roster all through the major leagues. It's it's just going to be fascinating. So you want to be on hand uh, for all of that. Mark Tompkins will have all your news in TampaBay.com. You know, again, the press conference tomorrow, or that would be actually Tuesday, and then the pitchers and catchers' uh, first workout is on Wednesday. Uh, and so you, you definitely want to uh, make sure you check in on all that. Some breaking news today uh, that I discovered, and it hasn't been consummated yet. I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but we, we talked a lot about how Dirk Cutter had fired his defensive line coach, Jay Hayes, who had been really with him almost – I mean, they've known each other for almost 40 years going back to the Idaho-Idaho State days when they were rivals in college – and so it was kind of shocking that six weeks after the Super Bowl, you would make this change almost as if he was the fall guy, if you will, for a 5-11 and 11 season. I mean, they knew that the defensive line wasn't very productive, last in sacks with 22. Well, he, it turns out he may end up uh, hiring a guy to replace one of his friends with another guy who's one of his coaching buddies. And we, we found this out that uh, Ted uh, Monacino is going to interview for the Bucs. He was the Colts defensive coordinator for the past two seasons. And like Hayes, like I said, he's got a history with this guy. Um, He coached defensive line with Cutter when Cutter was a head coach at Boise State. He did the same thing, coached defensive line when Cutter was head coach at Arizona State. They both were on Jack Del Rio's staff in Jacksonville. And, of course, if you remember, uh, Bucs defensive coordinator Mike Smith was on that staff in Jacksonville, so uh, he knows – uh, Monachino. So this is a guy who, you know, if you just look at it on the surface, you say, well, you know, okay, the Bucks were last with 22 sacks. Let's see who was next to worst. Oh, that would be the Colts who had 25. So he wasn't a defensive line coach. He was their coordinator. I would say that, that maybe the Colts' personnel was as bad or worse as the Bucks outside of Gerald McCoy and maybe Noah Spencer then got hurt. You really didn't have anybody produce anything at all. But it's just interesting to me that however this thing came about, and we still don't know, we still don't know, you know, how after signing Jay Hayes, like they did all their other assistants, to a one-year club option, that you would then, you know, whether it was film study or doing a deep dive or interviewing the players, you would arrive at the conclusion that it's not just any coach. I mean, this is, again – a guy that he's very close to, seemed to have always had confidence in, coached, what, 13 years for the Bengals, has been successful throughout his career, and yet he became uh, the change. And and change seemed to be that it was going to be inevitable. I mean, we weren't even sure that Dirk Cutter was going to be back. And, of course, the week before the season finale, when the whole John Gruden thing started to began to blow up a little bit with Oakland, they quickly uh, decided to uh, announce that Dirk Cutter would be back for a third season. You still – 
expected after five and 11, there would be some changes on the coaching staff, but almost immediately we were told that the entire staff was also picked back up, including Mike Smith. Well, let's face it. The defense didn't have a very good year last year, including George Warhop. The offensive line seemed to underachieve at times, including Tim Spencer, who, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, the running backs with Doug Martin weren't very good. And so you could go on and on. Uh, you know, John Hoke with the defensive backs weren't very good. And yet the guy who ends up, you know, being told that uh, they want to do better is is a good friend of his, and, and they wind up getting rid of Jay Hayes. So it seems like, you know, Dirk Cutter, I know one thing about him. He, he, likes, he likes familiarity. He likes – to work with people who he knows are good coaches that he has worked for and or worked with in the past. If you look at his staff, even Todd Munkin, a lot of guys that was in Jacksonville with him that have been in other stops along the way. And that's not unique to Dirk Cutter. That's pretty much the way it is in coaching in the NFL. But Steve, what this tells me is when you're willing to make a change like this and pay the guy and limit his ability to go somewhere else, because all these new coaching staffs, maybe with the exception of the Colts, who just you know hired Frank Reich have all filled their their staffs. It's it's become now. If you didn't know it before, this is proof of it. It's a zero sum game. It's zero sum game for Dirk Cutter and his coaching staff. He's willing to you know to make this difficult decision. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently: Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. It's, it's sort of a recognition, not that, that there shouldn't be enough urgency anyway, but if you're a coach on this staff, if you're a player on the defensive line, if you're anybody who's paying attention with the Buccaneers, you're saying, wow, you know, this guy just, you know, fired Jay Hayes. And, and clearly they weren't productive on the defensive line, but regardless of who was out there, it wasn't good enough, and they're bringing in somebody else. That should get your attention. It should, although, you know, knowing he was the coordinator there in Indianapolis and the, st the staffs got let go, um, it may have been they were just waiting on him, too. I mean, they may have known all Could along they were going to make this change or, you know, assuming he didn't, but get, then another why, what, assuming he didn't get another coordinator position. Because, you know, obviously true. he doesn't want to take a D-line position if he, he's in line for another coordinator position somewhere. Maybe he was in the mix somewhere else for a defensive coordinator. And so yeah. they weren't going to make the change, but then when he became available, Dirk said, I want him instead. Yeah, and on paper, I mean, it, it doesn't seem to be a big discernible difference. I mean, I again, I've looked at his career. You know, the best years he had was coaching linebackers for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he had Terrell Suggs. I think he won player of the year one year. They won a Super Bowl, which is the highlight of anybody's career in coaching. And so, you know, um, I, I don't know, you know, where the great – I'm sure he's a good coach. He's been in the league a long time. He's, he's been in many, many places – and seems to have kept been able to keep jobs for a number of times. He, he was promoted finally to defensive coordinator with the Colts. I believe that's his first job as a defensive coordinator. So it's not as if this guy is a bad coach. I just don't, you know, 
again, I don't know him as well as Dirk does, but there doesn't seem to be on paper anyway a huge discernible difference between him and a Jay Hayes. But you know what? We're seeing we're seeing a couple things that Dirk is looking for new voices. Dirk is looking with Todd Munkin. The other big change, the only other big change they've made is is taking a guy like Todd Munkin and instead of coaching receivers and being a part-time offensive coordinator, now he's a full-time offensive coordinator. And that is as much about Jameis Winston as it is about anybody. That's another voice, maybe a newer voice, somebody he's familiar with for sure, but somebody who can you know have more interaction, maybe be on the headset in training camp, maybe on the headset in preseason, whatever, but certainly in meetings. And I think that's what Dirk is trying to do. He's trying to He's trying to motivate these guys. He's trying to, you know, to to stimulate them a little bit. There's going to be a lot of different players. That's the other thing. I was just looking at the roster with all the free agents that are off that defensive line, whether you're talking about Clinton McDonald, and I would expect Chris Baker will be cut. And I don't know about William Golston, and certainly Robert Ayers won't be here. You're looking at a lot of new faces that's outside of Gerald McCoy and Noah Spence, perhaps, uh, and Stevie Tulakolavatu. I – I don't know how many guys are going to be back. So, you know, Silver Saliga is a free agent. So there's a lot of moving parts on this defensive line. And I kind of feel sorry for one guy, and nobody's going to have a pity party for him, but it's Gerald McCoy. I looked this up. Since 2010, when he was drafted third overall by the Bucks, and everybody likes to wrap Gerald McCoy. For some reason, because the team doesn't win, you obviously go after you know their uh, most decorated and highest paid player. It's his fault, clearly. But Gerald McCoy, this will be his eighth defensive line coach since he was drafted in 2010. Eight. And I don't know about you. I haven't had that many bosses in my career. Uh, but when they, when they do make a change, and there's been a couple, it's an adjustment. And I can't imagine being a guy who's had as much success as Gerald. Of course, maybe the best thing you do is say, hey, Gerald, you just go out and be you. But, but that's not what happens. Every coach – has sort of his own, you know, way of teaching things, his own fundamentals, you know, the games he calls, the the stunts or whatnot. And Gerald has to learn all of that again. Now the defense isn't going to change because it's Mike Smith's defense, um, but he'll have to get used to a new defensive line coach. Sometimes that's helpful, sometimes it's not. But it's interesting, and we'll see if, uh, in fact, that's that's who they settle on. But uh, Montecino is going to be the guy that uh, that comes in here and interviews, and I would bet you given his resume and his familiarity with Dirk Cutter, that that's probably going to be the guy that they wind up with. I mentioned Jameis Winston, uh, a little bit of housekeeping. They are now in the window where teams can pick up the fifth-year option on those players that, that came out of that draft uh, that were in the first round like a Jameis Winston. Now, Jameis will be going into his fourth season. Typically, players are free agents after four completed seasons, but if you're first-round pick, the clubs have a fifth-year option. What does that mean? Well, uh, there's already a, a, a certain amount of money set aside for that for that year, and all it does is if they pick up the fifth-year option, it guarantees the contract uh, against injury. So there's no there's no guarantee beyond that. It doesn't mean that you know if he gets cut that you have to pay him. You don't, but if he's injured, you do. So uh, certainly with a franchise quarterback and somebody that's had as much success as Jameis, even though this is a huge year for him, and they don't know what's actually going to happen with respect to the NFL investigation that he's under. I got to believe that this is a no-brainer and you're going to have that news pretty soon. I was going to say, there's no way they don't pick up that option. 
That would be a hell of a story, wouldn't it? Although, I will say this, it's not quarterback, but you remember there was a player that they did not that, that was a first round pick recently, they did not pick up his fifth year option, Doug Martin. And what happened to Doug Martin that year? He was motivated, he could have become a free agent. He went out and rushed for for what? Uh 1200 yards or 1400 yards maybe. The thing about it is is that you know, he was trying to get to that free agent contract. He got to it. He tested the market, and the Bucks signed him back and guaranteed him some, I don't know, $15 million. Now, the second part of that, you know, he kind of fumbled away with his suspension and wound up rejoining the team anyway and made most of it last year. But there was I, – I was surprised the year that uh, – and, again, it was because of injury. It was because he had been hurt a couple of years, and they didn't want to guarantee him that big salary in case he got injured. I don't think Jameis is an injury risk in in that sense. That, that what they think about when they think about him, but wouldn't that wouldn't that be a story? Well, the news I, is not that they would pick it up. I think the didn't. difference too is a quarterback compared to a running back as well. Absolutely, and they're and they're going to do everything they can to uh, to make sure that you know that he is you know buttoned up. And and then after the fifth year, you know, we talked about this. If the Bucks don't win next year for some reason. Dirk Cutter is going to be gone. Jason Light's probably going to be gone. And then you have a new head coach come in here. But then you'll have one more year with a quarterback named Jameis Winston. And that coach's job will be essentially to save Jameis. And then if he does well, even though you don't sign him to an extension, which they could do after this season or even now for that matter, um, if you're confident enough, you could always franchise him. You know, so you, you, but then you're going to run into options like Kirk Cousins where you can only do it twice. I mean, it could get messy. But – uh, they still have control of Jameis Winston for a number of years as long as as long as they want to, so that's a good thing if you're if you're a Buccaneers fan. Uh, I mentioned also that uh, boy, the Lightning that game. I turned this game on uh, on uh, Monday night, and the Lightning were down three nothing. And then I watched them storm back, and it w- you know you almost expect them to win. Now it's so funny. It's like when you watch them play, even when they're behind. They came back, and I think in the uh, – I want to say the second or th- maybe it was the third period. They scored they one scored, late in the second, and then they scored two uh, 20 seconds two apart within, really within early in the third. 20 seconds. Yeah. yeah, and then I thought, well, that's it. They're going to win. I mean, there's no way. they're. And then they gave up a goal. And, boy, the end of the game was exciting, though. They were peppering them uh, with a one-man advantage, but they wind up losing 4-3. to three. Back Disappointing, at it, Back at it tonight in Buffalo, back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Back-to-back games, I would assume yeah. Louis Domingue will be, get the starting goal tonight. Right, right. How did you think they played overall? The part that you watched, uh, I thought I I thought it was. I mean, I thought they were skating well. Um, although yeah. you know, when you're playing against the Toronto, Toronto's built very similarly to the Lightning, so both teams want to skate. Um, they're not a team that's trying to slow you down as much. Um, you know, a, a lot of what what's stymied the Lightning lately is is uh, every team's bottling up the uh, the center of the ice there, um, and yep. really getting sticks and everything in the way where the Lightning can't skate. Uh, but Toronto's one that wants to skate too, so that helps. So um, yeah. Toronto's a very good team. They're going to finish it. They're going to make the playoffs. Um, Tampa Bay, Boston, and, and Toronto are pretty much guaranteed at this point to make the playoffs as top three in the division. I think the other teams are twenty points back or something, uh, maybe fifteen from Toronto. But well, they came out on fire, and and I'll say this: you know, you 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 think about the playoffs and just you don't know how it's going to fall as far as seeds and as you advance through it. But Toronto. That place was lit. <laughs> that that building is crazy, man. When if Toronto's in the postseason, you got to go up there and play those guys. Yeah, it was it was crazy last year. They made it for the first time in years last year. 
Yeah, um, you yeah. Know, kind of a little bit ahead of schedule. They went through a massive rebuild a few years ago when they brought, brought mm-hmm. uh, Lou Lamorello running the team and Mike Babcock as the coach. Um, last right. year they were kind of ahead of schedule. You know, got there quicker than anyone thought. They, they, everyone thought yeah. this year was the year they were supposed to. So a lot of expectations, a lot of good young talent on that team. Well, I mentioned uh, the big news, of course, is the Rays, pitchers and catchers. They're reporting on Tuesday, first workout is Wednesday. We had a chance to catch up with one of their bright young pitchers. I think this is going to be a guy you're going to see in their rotation pretty quickly. Uh, and he won seven games last year, especially was good in the second half. Austin Pruitt, here's my interview with Austin from the other day. Well, so this starts it. You know, it's it's Rays Fan Fest, so you must be going to you must be going to camp here in about three days, right? Yeah, yeah. As far as I know, <laughs> um, yeah. You ready I'm to get started? Yeah, excited to get started. Uh, yeah. yeah, the off season, you, know, you get to a point where man, I'm kind of overworking out. Uh, yeah, and then excited to kind of get going, get the body moving, and doing baseball stuff. And did you go? Do you go back to Houston or back to Texas? Is that where you you spend yes. primar- primarily yeah. your off season? Houston, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, of course, last year. Uh, Made this team on opening day. I mean, had a great spring. Uh, I think. Uh, just describe what it's like to make a major league roster for the first time out of out of spring training. Yeah, I, it was it was insane, really. I, I didn't have a whole, you know, since it was my first one, I didn't have a whole lot of expectations. Um, but uh, but yeah, going through that, I mean, I, you know, I, at the beginning, I, I didn't make it to be as big as a deal as it as yeah. it was, man. But it really was, you know, a big deal, and it was it was freaking awesome to be a part of. Yeah, and then uh, now you've always been a guy that's uh, been a starter predominantly throughout your career. Early on, they, they uh, had you in the bullpen, sort of a long reliever type type situation. Of course, we know that you came back, had an outstanding second half. If you guys watched Austin pitch, uh, he was lights out when he when he returned. Uh, and, but but that role, uh, how different is that when you if you are put down there where you don't really know what day you're going to be used? I mean, you're you're kind of a creature of habit as a starter, right? Absolutely, yeah. No, the the, the whole starter routine is is super nice. But uh, yeah, it, it being the first time in the bullpen, yeah, it is a completely different mindset to being a starter. Yeah. Um, and it was something that I, I kind of had to get used to a little bit. And it, it it was it was a struggle at first for sure. Sure. Um, but I I think you know get kind of gaining that experience going into this year is. Uh, pretty big been huge i would think and then when you uh when you did come back i I mentioned uh uh, you know you're from houston so you're playing the astros who were the eventual world champions right tremendous lineup and you go down there and are part of a shutout uh as you take me through what it was like not just pitching at home uh but going against that lineup and then being part of that shutout yeah no it was that that moment was pretty pretty crazy just just going, yeah, going back home, you know, being at the stadium that you're at, you know, since you've been, you've been, you know, a little kid Growing watching, up, watching yeah. the Astros uh, in, in having your family there and just about every single person that you know is, is there in that stadium watching you. It was a r- really insane moment. It, it was, it really was really cool. Um, it was kind of cool to reflect on after the game was over. How, how do you control your nerves in a situation like that? I mean, it's one thing to pitch in the big leagues. I don't know how you would do that to begin with. But when you're when your family's there, when you're when you're in the ballpark, like you mentioned that you would go, and you're you're by the way, you're opposing Dallas Keuchel too, because you know, so he's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, how do you calm? Did you did you use the adrenaline to your advantage, or is it is it just I got to breathe a little bit and try to calm myself down? Yeah, it, I'm I'm trying to breathe the entire time. I'm focused on my breath the whole time. Uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. It was just something I, you know, I tried to use the adrenaline. You know, I wanted to do my best to give all of my family and friends and sure. fans, you know, the no pressure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, I just I, I wanted to do my best for those guys that came in and, and watched. So yeah, but yeah, no, I, I was focusing on my breath the entire time. I was trying to calm myself down. You got a huge compliment early in spring training from Chris Archer, who watched you on the side and said, "Man, this guy can pitch. I need to go talk to him and find out what I can learn." What's it mean when a guy like Chris Archer recognizes the talent that the, that you were putting out there? It it was it was a good feeling. It was uh, you know just because you, you know Chris Archer's a big name dude. He's you know been a good pitcher. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool for for him you know, to hear him say that. Uh, you know, it being my first big league camp and everything, not really knowing a whole lot of guys, and you know you, you know who Chris Archer is. Sure, sure. Yeah, hearing that was it was pretty cool. Um, we're we're uh, talking about you know pitching in the major leagues and 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 you did you had such a great uh, second half one seven games um you're a guy that uh, i don't tell me if, if this is do you like the rhythm you like to work fast you like to get the ball throw the ball are you are you that guy i'm absolutely a rhythm guy yeah, yeah. and yeah whenever all the hitters start taking their start time walking around yeah i'm just you know I'm, I'm trying to speed things up a little bit sure. and try and get into my rhythm to but yeah. yeah i'm absolutely a rhythm guy i love that because you know they talked about speeding the game up that's not a problem with you you're not you're not going to walk around a mound after every pitch right right yeah the yeah. the pace of play if it's slow i'm you know i'm gonna could have a hard time you, out there yeah and and uh i think if you anybody's watched uh watch you pitch uh austin the the, the curveball is something that's elite um where did you learn to throw it? How 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 have you always had that pitch? Is is that something that's developed over the years? Uh, uh, I mean, kind of kind of crazy enough. I started throwing curveball. I think I was like nine years old or something. Really? Um, yeah. No. I mean, it, it's it's something that I've kind of always had, I guess, in my repertoire. You know, yeah. college it was it was really good. Um, you know, the only thing that I kind of had to figure out, you know, college ball to a you know minor league ball is a little bit different. So right. Something I had to figure out, and then going from a minor league ball to a major league ball is a little bit different. Um, but yeah, it's something that I that I've kind of always kind of had a feel for. Young staff, yourself, you got guys like Blake Snell, uh, other guys coming up. Uh, whether it's Brent Honeywell, I mean, th this is you're a young group that can that could be together for a long time. How exciting is it to to be part of of this core of, of, of young players? Because that's that's what the Rays have always been known for is is developing pitchers, bringing them up, and and watching them go. It this is exciting. Yeah, there's a lot of young guys that could be here for a long time. Um, you know, it's it's exciting to be a part of, and yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot, a lot of good pitchers here for sure. All right, we thank you for joining us. That's it for today. Uh, make sure you can always reach us on Twitter. We want your comments, your feedback, your questions. You can uh, tweet us at Sports Day TB. That's at Sports Day TB, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Also, my email rstroud at tampabay.com or stroudbucks b u c s at aol.com. And, Steve, there's a lot of places they can sign up and get this podcast, right? If you're getting podcasts, usually you're going to iTunes or Google Play or even Stitcher or TuneIn. We're all there. Uh, SoundCloud as well. And, of course, you can always go to tampabay.com slash sports. The latest podcasts are always there on the page. Absolutely. Again, thanks for listening. Make this a habit. We appreciate you uh, doing this each and every day. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Burstnick. Have a great day, everybody. 
food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us. Call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.